Welcome back to D1 Rejects, episode 99. One away, baby. Bro. One away, baby. It's your ugly. Yeah. I mean, your ugly self. Yeah, that's what I thought. My bad, Sarah. I got the pleasure of hosting not one king, but both the king brothers tonight. How we doing, boys? Doing good. I'm living life. Babysitting for a month. Baby, <laughs> it's pretty good. But uh, we also have two great guests joining us tonight. The first one is Chenzo Fanari, who was the running back coach here at Northern this last year. Former SpaceX engineer. He's now a defensive analyst over at UConn, uh, working on Jim Mora's staff for the Huskies. Talk to him, have a really good, insightful conversation about his journey uh, going from space, that's getting back back into football, excuse me. And then later on, Jimmy Martin is back on the show. We talk all of the biggest upcoming Division Three games in this coming fall season. And then also, boys, there's a Division Three team playing in Italy this month. They're playing, uh, I believe, in just like a week or two. Uh, University of Wisconsin Lacrosse is playing a local Italian football team. They're going to Rome. They're going to Venice. They're going to Florence. They're all of it. All right, bunch of things that I honestly I've never even considered even going out there, but really cool experience sounds like for them. So we're going to talk a lot about that. We have the 2023 schedule release date for the NFL uh, that we'll touch on. Nothing too crazy there. Some uh, wild news from this year's Super Bowl and an injury that one of the players was dealing with. And then finally, a big topic today, just talking about the transfer portal, all the stats, all the numbers. Uh, what is it doing to college football? What is the good? What is the bad? The ugly? All of it. I want to dive into it. I've had a lot of discourse about it. Um, I just want to spew nonsense. Not nonsense. I have numbers to back myself up. But just to spew knowledge. We'll say spew knowledge. Um, <laughs> but as always, you can watch the episode on YouTube if you are watching. Don't forget the little red bar at the bottom of the screen. Use that to fast forward any part of the video that sounds mildly entertaining. You can listen pretty much anywhere to Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram. All of it. Let's go to our first guest, Coach Chenzo. Joining the show first tonight, a man who Ty and I both had the pleasure of playing for last year as a running back coach at Northern. Since move on to an analyst position at UConn with the Huskies, the former SpaceX employee turned football coach, the man himself, Chenzo Fenari. What's going on, Coach? Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! Yeah, come on, come on. What's going on, fellas? What's going on? Yes! <laughs> excited, to, excited to hang with you guys. Fortunately, wish I would have been able to do it in the studio at some point, but I'm glad to glad to be with you guys here. Man, that, that's on that's on us. To be honest, we kind of dropped this thing off during football season. Uh, <laughs> we, I'm glad you know you focus, focus on the focus on the right things. Yeah, no, that that's true. That's true. But uh, we definitely like this year. That's a big goal for me to like, even if it is maybe not twice a week. You know what I mean? But to get something out every week, like that's a big goal for me to make sure we uh, we keep this thing rolling. But we know your story. A lot of people don't, so I guess let's just start with that. We got to start with SpaceX. Um, how do you go from helping contribute to making rockets to now making game plans? If you like that one, a little clever. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean to back it up a little bit before. Go for that, it. So you know, I'm, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. I went to a big high school football powerhouse in the state of Ohio called St. Ed's, uh, St. Edward. Um, you know, they've won like five of the last 12 or so state championships. No biggie. You know, produce a lot of, you know, big time talent. Um, you know, heading before that in eighth grade, I actually just, so I injured my knee throughout the middle of the season, continued to play the rest of the year. And then after, you know, we won our eighth grade city championship with that, which was at the time, you know, the biggest thing in my life. That's um, the pinnacle. You know, I, I got my knee looked at and, and found out I, I had torn my ACL and meniscus in that knee um, and played the last, like, eight weeks or so uh, of the season on it. Uh, so then 
eighth grade year, I, I had my first ACL reconstruction. Um, and then I also had microfracture surgery on my other knee. So I, I missed my freshman year of high school football playing, rehabbing both those injuries. Hmm. Um, and then I, I came back my sophomore year in the fifth week of the season, I retore uh, the same ACL again. So, you know, I know Kobe, Kobe can, you know, attest to this, but those were, those are some pretty dark times, you know, to go through that, especially, you know, at such a young age, um, yeah. you know, and I knew I wasn't, you know, division one scholarship level football caliber. Uh, so I, you know, I made the decision to stop playing after those, that third knee surgery, um, you know, which was a very tough decision for me because, you know, football was my first love. You know, fortunately I had a great high school coach named Rick Finati who encouraged me to, to be, you know, stay involved in the game. So I, I transitioned to a student assistant type of role um, to finish out high school. And then going into college, you know, I was deciding between being a student assistant somewhere and, and getting a degree in, in aerospace engineering. You know, they're both, they're both big time commitments and I knew I just really a decision couldn't. that, you know, every college student ponders. Yeah, you know, I, I I knew I couldn't do both. Um, you know, yeah. I had like the interest and kind of aptitude to to do that type of, of work. And you know, as like a seventeen year old kid, I figured the, the safer route was to to get an engineering degree. So I went to Ohio State, I did that, got my bachelor's of science in aeronautical and astronautical engineering. Um and I worked some internships throughout that time at various places um, throughout Southern California and Seattle area. Um, and then I went on to get my master's at Purdue, where I worked at, uh, you know, the largest uh, academic aerospace propulsion lab in the world throughout that time. And, and you know, how I got there was I kind of, you know, knew I wanted to get to SpaceX. It was kind of the pinnacle of the profession and, you know, where we're kind of the most elite of talent and people in, in that industry went to work um, in the group I wanted to be. And I knew I needed some more, some more training to get in. So Purdue's a really good, you know, propulsion school for rocket propulsion. I went there. Fortunately for me, I, the project I worked on in grad school was, it was, you know, partially funded through the Air Force and SpaceX. So I was working directly okay. with SpaceX. Um, Foot in the door. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, from there, they kind of offered me, you know, an opportunity to join them. Um, so I was doing that. And, you know, I was working there, working, you know, 80 plus hour weeks to, you know, sometimes 100 when I would be in Texas, uh, supporting testing operations and things like that. But, you know, I kind of, it was this mountaintop that I'd wanted to climb for so long. And, and now I was kind of at the top of the mountain and I was sitting back reflecting on, you know, the journey, but also like now that I'm here, you know, is this bringing me kind of the fulfillment in life that I thought it was? And, you know, the answer to that question was no, it was, it was not doing that. And, you know, I, I felt I was, you know, surrounded by a bunch of very intelligent, driven, passionate people, um, some of the most, you know, incredible people on the planet and doing some great things still to this day. But, you know, they were very consumed by their work and, and that kind of defined their whole identity. And, and, and it was just not a whole, well, I wasn't, you know, the, the most well-rounded of a person that I thought I should be. And yeah. You know, when I reflected on what, what brought me fulfillment in life, it was always, you know, the relationships I built through the game of football with coaches, teammates, and things of that nature. So, you know, I yeah. explored, explored getting into football. 
Um, you know, I, I think it's cool there. you mentioned that too because I think in football you'll find a lot of people who follow a lot of those same lines as in like you have some lifers in football that it does become, and that's any profession, right? But I think football has an abundancy of that at the, at the different levels of guys who like, this is their life. And you see guys now, I think a great example is these guys who go to coach to the XFL and the USFL, like what are they paying these guys? And like some of these guys who go out there, like Stoops is a great example, or, you know, some of these, the head coach for the, the sea dragons, his name is escaping me right now. But um, these guys who like, their life is football and they stepped away from the game and now they just feel this urge and this itch, right? They call it the itch to come back to it. So I think it's just, it's cool how you mentioned that that's, you know, doesn't discriminate by profession. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think the biggest wake up call for me was, you know, my sister, she works in, in LA now and she, she got her start there as, as an intern. She's in the music industry when I was working out there. So, you know, it was cool because, you know, we we're both out, on the West coast, completely far away from our family, from home. And, you know, I didn't, you know, spend the time I needed to her and, and make her a priority that summer she was interning there. And I think that was to me, a wake up call that, you know, there's more to life than just being this, this, you know, quote unquote rocket scientist and working at this really cool company and, and doing all those types of things. So, you know, I, I, I went yeah. home that Christmas and, you know, I was going through some of my old belongings in my house and, you know, I came across this paper when I was in probably, you know, grade school, maybe fourth, fifth, sixth grade, something like that. And it said, like, what are three things you would consider a successful life? And I had three things written on there with some pictures. I still have it to this day. It's hanging up on my desk. But it says, um, you know, st start a family, go to college, and become a college football coach. So, yeah. so even at that young age, you know, it was something – that I obviously had wanted to do. So that kind of, you know, sparked in it me again, like, you know, maybe I should see, you know, what opportunities are out there. And I knew, you know, for someone like me to have to kind of start at the bottom and work my way up. Um, and I knew like, you know, taking a job like that, I probably wouldn't be able to do five years from, from that, that point in time. Cause you know, I might have other obligations, whether it be, you know, a wife, kids, family, you know, financial responsibilities, things like that. So yeah, you know, I explored, leaving my career for football then and you know i was fortunate to receive some interest actually for some volunteer quality control jobs um from some fcs programs in early 2020 and then COVID hit and um you know they're like we don't even know if we're playing football in the fall so those kind of dried up yeah um so you know i, I stayed at spacex and then you know eventually decided to leave because i knew you know to get my foot in the door in football, I wouldn't be able to do that working the hours I was working at SpaceX. So of course, you know, yeah. I, took a, I took a job at Taylor, made the golf company in San Diego, um, was designing golf clubs, but working, you know, very few hours compared to SpaceX. And I was going to use that extra time to try to get involved with, you know, a high school football program um, that fall. But, you know, fortunately for me, you know, I was only there for two months or so. And then an opportunity at Youngstown State, came about, um, you know, a pretty, pretty good FCS program that's close to home in Cleveland, about yep. an hour away. And, uh, you know, the defensive coordinator there had just come from John Carroll University where, you know, he was the defensive coordinator for my head coach in high school, Rick Finati, who was who was the, the head coach at John Carroll at the time. Had a little bit of an in, yeah. A there was connection mutual, at least, yeah. Yeah, some mutual connection there. And Love it. You know, after a, a couple conversations with him and him making sure, you know, I wasn't absolutely insane for you know leaving it to go start as a volunteer 
uh, quality control coach. Yeah. Um, you know, he offered me opportunity and you know, I packed up my car, my life in Southern California and drove to Youngstown, Ohio to, to get started. In so it's school. pretty, pretty valid question when he probably looked at your, your background, the resume and was like, you can't be serious. That's a part of his mind had to be, had to be saying that. Now you had that role at Youngstown. You had the chance to come and be our running back coach and have a position group here at Northern. And now you're transitioning and do uh, more of that analyst role at Connecticut. I just wanted you to talk a little bit more about like that part of the game, right? What you're doing for that staff, the behind the scenes things that happen, especially at those larger programs. Cause I think a lot of people on the outside don't really understand what it is that coaches, even really what coaches do in the off season. You know what I mean? And a lot of this stuff is in season, a lot of scouting and those type of things. But I just wanted you to go over, uh, you know, what you can expect from somebody in, in your shoes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so at, at Youngstown, you know, I was an analyst there. And, and you know, I did a lot of, like, during the, the, the season, my day-to-day jobs were, you know, for practice preparation, it was drawing scout cards so that our scout team, you know, knew what they were doing. It was running, you know, meet scout team, you know, meetings uh potentially when we were you know under understaffed with support staff and didn't have a ga and things like that and yep um so it was doing that for practices it was you know um getting data into our film so that way you know we can organize film and cut-ups efficiently and um things like that but you know the probably the biggest thing was you know i you know was responsible for our advanced scouting reports. And, and what that kind of means is, you know, if we're playing a week one opponent, I'm already working towards our week two opponents scouting report. Mm-hmm. So that way, you know, when we play our game Saturday, we, you know, we finish that game, we come in and we grade the film on Sunday morning, we meet with our players. And then as soon as, you know, that's over with, we're able to flip the switch immediately. And I, meet with the coordinator and be like, here's everything we need to know on our upcoming opponent, because that's how quick the transition has to be. We play a game Saturday. And then as soon as you clean up all the mistakes and the grade that film, like you're already moving on to that next week's opponent. You only have, you know, six more days left. So, you know, to ease that transition, it's kind of, you know, I did everything from, you know, you know, breaking them down schematically by personnel tendencies, like drawing all of their different run plays. Um, I mean, it was a very intensive type of report that kind of lets, you know, our coordinator get all this information up front at the start of the week so he can get a better understanding of, you know, who these guys are from, you know, a personnel standpoint, but also a schematic standpoint and even a philosophical standpoint. Like, you know, are they yeah. an aggressive team that's going to go for it a lot on fourth down? Or are they, you know, you know, things like that. So Trends and other, yeah, other useful pieces of information. And that's like, this isn't a one sheet of like front and back piece of paper. You got these binders, man, that you were, you were showing me a couple of them. And it's just like the yeah. amount of like thought and consideration and just data crunching that goes into all this stuff is it's art in itself, right? It's ridiculous. Um, but now moving over to UConn, someone I wanted to ask you about that you may, you know, work closely with is Jim Mora. And that's someone who has, I think, captured a little bit of the national spotlight here in the last year. Um, as far as people have a lot of hope in this guy, he, I feel like he's really galvanized that fan base. And I just, just people across the country who have been fans, casual fans of, of that program, but he has this breadth of experience 
I just wanted to know from you, like, what is it about him that makes him this guy that people are just willing to, you know, circle the wagons around? Yeah, I mean, Coach Mora, I think, you know, he has, to me, what I love the most about him is, you know, yeah, he he took a job that most people said it's the worst job in the country. Exactly. It's the worst job in the country. They have won, I don't know, not whatever many games it's been in, like, the last however many years. Yeah, not good. You know, and he and he he was, you know, for all intents and purposes, like he he could have just rode away into the sunset and knew like his football legacy was already cemented. I mean, yep. he was working at ESPN outside of coaching, and he felt that it it needed to be the right opportunity to get him in. And you know, I think to him, he kind of felt, you know, if you if you come to our campus and you see our football facilities, I mean, there's no excuse for for this program to to win as little games as, as they've won. I mean, really? we have unbelievable facilities. I mean, we have the resources necessary to be successful. And I think, you know, him coming here, seeing, you know, what we had to offer, you know, potential recruits and players and from a facility standpoint and program standpoint, like, you know, he viewed this challenge as like, Hey, yeah, you know, this is what I want to do. And, and I think the best, thing about him is yeah you know they won six games last year and went to a bowl game yep. and that was more wins than like the previous four years combined and everyone's you know patting him on the back like oh great job I mean that's unbelievable and and you know his response is yeah you know we're heading in the right direction but like, that's, that's the still, bar that's not it's still unacceptable mm-hmm. you know that's that's a trend in the right direction it's progress but that's not our standard here so like him setting a different standard so that these guys know what the expectation is i think you know is is the best thing about him and you know these guys are hungry to to prove people wrong and i think you know he's just invigorated some life into this program by you know people feeling confident about who he is and what he stands for you know one based off of his past success you know he's you know he's coached 20 plus years in the national football league yep um playoff football like like real you know like big time games and all this stuff and i have to ask you too did you ever see the special they did on college game day about his house over there in connecticut <laughs> yeah i have not uh had the chance to get to his house yet. damn it a lot I, of the, a i lot was of really the- hoping you were gonna say that you could go over there and either like quantify or disprove these uh yeah, I don't have firsthand experience with it yet, but a lot of the coaches on staff or other staff members who have stayed at his house, you know, they're pretty, uh, they're pretty adamant that, that, that there's, there's some ghosts in that house. So. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, it's like they did this special and he apparently has friendly, like multiple poltergeists or ghosts, um, living in his house that were there before the house. Um, one of the defensive backs coaches had said like, yeah, my daughter, um, was just talking to someone in the middle of the night or uh, Mora's daughter could hear someone whispering in her ear and doors will move and other noises and just these random things. And so they had the paranormal investigators come over and they did this, you know, they did this whole thing. But this piece on game day, I, I would encourage everyone to watch because it was it was hilarious. Even the way they shot the interview with him, like in the basement with the light kind of up underneath, like he was telling a campfire ghost story. Oh, I thought that was awesome. Um, but... On that note, you talked a ton about his experience, right? His breadth of work and how impressive that is. How is his mindset towards some of the newer trends we want to talk about a little bit in college football? The NIL and the transfer portal, those specifically, what are his 
um, you know, I got not necessarily views, but how are they approaching those as, as to uh, improve the program? Yeah, you know, I think he's someone who is very um, in tune with how you have to adapt to, to stay competitive in the current landscape of, of college football. And, you know, it is, you know, it's, it's much different than the last time he was a head coach in college football. Oh yeah. Only, only even six years ago at UCLA. So, you know, in order to compete and, you know, especially as an independent where we're not in a conference and, and trying to compete against, you know, the, the schedule we have, where we play a lot of ACC schools and, you know, we play Tennessee this year and, and whatnot, I mean, we have to do the same things every other program's doing. And and that means, you know, trying, you know, everything we can to improve our roster and the transfer portal if necessary. Hundred percent. It means, you know, NIL deals for potential recruits, whether it's transfers or, you know, high school kids, it's it's doing everything we can to stay competitive against, you know, the market we're competing against. Yeah. And even as an independent, which is kind of an interesting factor you throw into there. But go ahead, Ty. When, when you go to, to UConn and, like like you say, they won six games this past season, the most games, you feel me, in a, in a while now, like how does the team, like, react to these newfound expectations? Because obviously when you're a program of the stature they had previously, you're not necessarily having expectations to do well. Yeah. And like you say, you win six games, you go to a bowl game, and now you get better recruits because of it. You get better assistance. You get some people leaving and taking jobs elsewhere. Like, how was the program handling the expectations now of being a competitive football team? Yeah, I think the program is hungry. The guys who, who stayed, you know, the guys who, you know, maybe they're gone now, but they were seniors last year, so they stayed through all those tough times, and then they finished, you know, with a very bright season. You know, I think a lot of the younger guys who are now, you know, going to be important players for us this year that saw, you know, how much it was worth those seniors or those guys left, you know, to see this program, you know, start that uprise. I think mm -hmm. it, it kind of just makes everyone <clears> – <throat> hungrier and you know it there's a constant reiteration of what the standard is here by not only coach Mora but like everyone involved you know from the coaching staff and and you know any part of the football staff at all that you know like I said that's not the standard it's a great step in the right direction but like hey if we want to be you know a 10 win team BCS bowl game team yep you know this is still unacceptable and and you know in order to do that we got to do X, Y, or Z a certain way. And, you know, he always says hard things are hard. And, like, winning football games is hard. Winning, you know, college football games at this level is, is even harder. And, you know, competing to play in primetime bowl games without being in a conference is even harder. So, like, to do those things, which everyone here wants to do, we have to just constantly stress the standard. And when we're not meeting that standard, it, like, we need to let people know. And that's not just a player standpoint, but if coaches, other staff members aren't meeting the standard of, you know, what UConn football stands for now, they need to, you know, it needs to be, you know, pounded back into their head. Like, Hey, this is not, this might've been fine in the past. This might've even been fine last year when we won six games, but like, this is not no longer. Okay. If we're trying to be where we think we can be. Love it. 
I love it. That's good stuff. Um, and the last thing I had for you, you've already had, you've been, we've touched on it, the journey and everything, but you've seen three different levels of football already, right? Vastly different areas as well. Some of the biggest takeaways for you, what stands out looking back, reflecting now, which I'm sure you've done a good bit of reflecting after wrapping up spring ball up there and kind of just, you know, getting a sense of, of where you're at in this, in this profession. What are some big takeaways that you've learned through these last couple of years? Yeah, you know, to be honest, you know, the, one of the biggest takeaways I got is to appreciate, you know, the authentic people that you're around on a daily basis. Because, you know, I, I try to pride myself in, in being, you know, an authentic person and being true to myself. Like, I know, right, people look at me most of the time like he doesn't look like a football coach or he doesn't have the background of a football coach. But I'm not going to pretend I'm someone I'm not. I'm just going to be myself and and, you know, see where that takes me in this profession. But, you yep. know, as you as you get, you know, around more people in this profession, especially from a recruiting standpoint now where it's all social media and everyone's got to have the coolest photo shoot and the coolest this or that. Like, oh, yeah. You know, you, you start to get around some people who, who do things maybe just for, for performance and to kind of put on for an audience. So, you know, it's, it's refreshing to – to be around the people and who are, you know, stay true to themselves in this game and this, you know, this crazy world of college football we live in now um, and, and kind of, you know, do things, you know, that are still true to themselves. And, you know, one of the best examples of that is our current D line coach here at UConn. Um, You know, I met him at Youngstown state. He was our D line coach when I was there. Uh, And then he left, you know, before I came to Northern, he left to go to UConn, but, Gotcha. And his name is Kenny McClendon, and you know he's uh as real as it gets, man. And I'm I'm grateful for that relationship. You know I, that obviously was a huge part in me coming to UConn. But you know everyone always asks like, oh, was it worth it leaving SpaceX or aerospace for you know this? And and what I'll say is, you know, having you know relationships in my life like guys like Kenny and, and some you know a handful of others that I met through this game, like that makes it all worth it. So. You know, just being around good people and and trying to work towards a common goal with those good people is, is you know, I think the most valuable thing I've learned throughout my time at, at each level. I love that. Yeah. And like I kind of touched on it earlier, like you can find that in other professions too, but I think football, there is just such an emphasis on that and such a premium on that, right? Because when you find that group, that group of people who are working towards that common goal, like people know about it because you end up, that's how you end up getting those winning seasons or you, you know, are upheld to that standard. You finish, um, you get to that mountain or whatever it is, but coach appreciate you, man. Seriously, this has been great. Thank you for uh, yeah, coming man. on and uh, spitting some knowledge. I appreciate you guys. And like I, like I said, I mean, you guys are my first ever, like, I hate when people say my guys, like coaches say, Oh, my guys, this, but like you yeah. were, you guys were my first, ever room that I, you know, I had my name stamped on as that position coach. So you'll always, you'll always have a special place in my heart. I appreciate you guys. I'm excited to see what you both do in the future. And, and even in KJU too, I'm excited, you know, to see everything you guys do. Um, you know, I appreciate you guys and you know, I'm grateful that, yeah, I was only at Northern for a few months being your coach, but you know, you guys are your lifelong relationships and, and, you know, you know, if you ever need anything, you, you can you can give me a shout. For sure, Coach. You changed my life forever. You don't even know it. It was Amen. a blessing to have you. I'm forever grateful. I appreciate you.
Same goes here, Coach. Thank you again. Have a good night. Really can't say thank you enough. Yeah, man. I appreciate you guys, like you said, and, you know, I'm a fan of the show. I love watching, you know, I listen, sometimes I listen at work to whole, whole podcast episodes. So, you know, Let's I, go, I, I, man. I think Let's you, go. you guys are, you guys are entertaining and got some good stuff and it's well produced. So I appreciate you, you know, having me on. Thank you, coach. We'll All catch right. you later. All right, guys. See you. I'll see you. Appreciate coach Chenzo coming on. We were part of the inaugural class. Yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? OGs, yeah, he gonna be uh like, I ain't gonna say who, he, I ain't gonna say he gonna be like them, but he gonna be like the one coaches who was always telling stories. Mm-hmm. Hey, remember so and so? Yep, <laughs> exactly. But um, we can transition and, and pivot here. Uh, the transfer portal in college athletics, specifically college football, as we're gonna talk about, and it's something that I want to say right off the bat. I think is necessary and is important in our sport. I think the idea itself is crucial, and I think it's a great idea. And it was, it's not the idea itself that I'm going to be almost arguing against. And like when we talk about this, it's the way it's been implemented, it's the regulations or lack thereof that have been implemented in the college landscape. And most importantly, it's not anything for me. Like I haven't transferred, I'm not planning on transferring. I don't, I'm not like salty about it. It's that student athletes are getting the short end of the stick when it comes to the transfer portal. And then that's what's really concerning for me. So it seems like right now it's getting out of hand. I wanted to just address like potential good, bad, or indifferent. So we can start with some of the good. And you guys feel free to add anything you want to it. Something that I just thought of one is it allows coaches to fill spots in their team quickly, right? You, especially you have a new head coach, like our situation right here at Northern, like you're not going to get enough high school guys to come in and just start right off the bat in the fall. Like our roster numbers are so low, you have to supplement with transfers. That's one thing that came to me right off the bat. Another one, kids with new coaching staffs, finding new opportunities, right? You didn't commit to the coaching staff that came in. Now, a lot of guys will stick it out, but by no means should you be expected to stick around for a staff that you're that wasn't the one you committed to. Mm-hmm. And finally, you know, there are always those other weird, different situations that kids, it just requires them or really inhibits them to leave schools and move to other areas. There's always going to be those oddballs. And so if you don't have some type of transfer portal policy in effect for those odd situations, it feels like the kids are just getting screwed. I remember specifically thinking when they had the old rules in place and there was a kid who was playing big time D one ball, wanted to transfer back home because he just found out his grandmother was like extremely sick. And Based on these rules, like there was no way he could transfer and still be eligible under the NCAA. And there's there are all kinds of interesting circumstances like that where you're looking at it and you're like, that's just boneheaded. Like that's just dumb. Yeah. But on the point of good things the transfer portal provides, what do you guys what do you guys have? I feel like before me, we get to the bad. Me personally, the transfer portal for me, it really won it didn't really make a difference for me because I was a grad transfer. You know? That's a whole other side of it, too, that, yeah, we'll touch on. I feel like the grad transfer side is good for grad transfers. Agreed. Because when you in a when you in a just a database for coaches to just look at, you know what I'm saying, to find kids, you know what I'm saying, and they got all your stats, everything, blah, 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 what you did, I feel like it's good for them, you know what I'm saying? I feel like it's good for players to be able to have the flexibility to, if you wanted to, just up and leave. Because mm-hmm. a coach, coaches do it every year. At every school. It's a good point. They are yeah. coach one day. The next day, they had a whole nother. Brian Kelly got hired at LSU before he he started a bowl game to coach at Notre Dame. That was insane. 
You know what I'm saying? That was really wild. I remember that whole fiasco, how that went down. My family, you know what I'm saying? Like, stuff like that. Like, I feel like, so for the players to have that kind of power, I feel like, like you say, it's necessary because of the landscape in which college football is going. It's hard, you know what I'm saying, with, like, just just be quite frank, like, I don't know. I feel like, like, we just don't have the same, like, mental makeup as people from 20, 30 years ago. Absolutely not. For them to just be like, you know what, I'm going to just stick it out. I'm going to just stick it out. No, I don't want to do this no more. You know what I'm saying? And I'm going to explore my opportunities. And I feel like that's not like a slight towards our generation. That's just evolution. You know what I'm saying? That's just the way people think think now. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like, like you say, it's necessary for our game. I feel like it do need to be regulations because I touch on why I feel like it got to be regulations when we get to the bad. But I feel like, like you say, it is necessary. And it is the concept and idea itself is I think it's a must. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's good. It's just it's just finding a way to make it more fluid and and how it benefits athletes. Because when you see some of these numbers that we're going to bring up here in a little bit, you're going to sit there and I think there will be some collective jaws like on the floor. People mm-hmm. like listening to it because I don't think people really realize what's going on and how many student athletes are just being absolutely. I don't want to use like profanity, but they're getting screwed. Like they're absolutely getting screwed. So. Let's get to some of the bad, right? So, And again, these are just some points that kind of, as I was just thinking about this, popped to the top of my head. Number one is less emphasis on high school recruiting. Yes. That's they take the biggest. They take the biggest blow. Less scholarships available for these kids. Um, there's just a less emphasis on that because really, when it comes down to it, and like Chenzo touched on it, which I'm glad he said, like they have to be competitive. Like these are full-time. This is their job. Their job is on the line. You can't bring in this class of high schoolers and then uh, I hope they develop. I hope they, if on the other side of the fence, there's a four-year starter that is proven that was potentially all-conference in another league, and you can bring him in and plug and play, and he could be an all-conference guy for you? And that's why, like, you won't see a whole lot of, like, taking chances on high school players no more. Yeah. Like, you see, like, like those fringe Division One. if he a fringe Division One guy, he's going to be strictly Division Two now. The that's fringe yeah. Division Two guys, you're going to be Division Three NAIA because – what am I going to take a chance on you for when I could just, like you say, pull somebody who from another school has played, you feel me, more downs than anybody else in my room? Until you prove yourself at whatever level, like there legitimately may not be chances for you, mm-hmm. which is a scary, like a really scary prospect. Like the like the the like only the upper echelon of the high school recruits are the ones that won't take a blow. But like when you're talking about the kids who like those, like you say, like Fringe scholarship NCAA football players is ugly for them because yeah. okay, this is my this is my last chance. Like we saw with our last staff. This is our last chance. We bringing in transfers. Yep. We didn't bring in a lot of freshmen last year. No. But we had, you feel me, over the past couple of years, quite a bit of transfers. Because, like you say, I, I can't these coaches at this point, with how like fickle it is and Everybody want to win. It's no longer you get. We gonna get you to the end of your contract. Yeah, two bad years. You out. You out the door. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. There's. I mean, it's it's both sides, right? It's not just the kids that have this like lack of um, stability or lack of security. I think is a really good word. And that was something too that I had on here is that it feels like commitment to coaches, to programs, and more importantly, I think the teammates is at an all time low. And I, I do like the thing that you brought up earlier, though, like. The mindset has shifted so much, and I think rightfully so, from like a 20 or 30 years ago, like my grandpa or even my dad, you know, might say like, you know, 
times get tough, like you got to get tougher, right? Mm -hmm. And and there are certainly circumstances in life where that's going to apply because there are some things you can't just transfer out of or just leave and walk around, right? But on the other side of that, there are certainly great examples of like, there is no reason to subject yourself to a coaching staff, a new coaching staff that doesn't, you know, you don't operate well with, or if there's a situation that arises that is not suitable for you, like, and that's the hard part is because there's so much gray area, right? But I do feel like I really do feel that commitment to coaches programs. Like I said, most importantly, teammates is at an all time low and don't think, cause I'm looking at you that I'm like, I'm not targeting. You know what I mean? No, I don't, I don't care if you were somebody. No, obviously not. I wouldn't, I'm not calling out anybody. Literally no, you speaking, anybody. you speaking on what it is because it's, like yes. you say, it's, I could wake up, I I swear on everything, like, a cup, uh, you could wake up tomorrow, Kobe, and be like, I'm transferring. Dude. And can't nobody do nothing about it. It's like, <laughs> it's so feeble and like, I don't even know what the word is, but literally that's all it is. And that's what's really concerning for me is because we have, and we're seeing it here too. You got a lot of people acting on impulse. Yes. Not like sitting, like, <laughs> like my decision to transfer, it was like a... This like is something you had thought, yes. long. Like, once the season over with, okay, I got to start thinking about my future. You yes. know what I'm saying? Yes, This is something where, like, um, like I got to see if this is what's best for me. Mm-hmm. To the point where, like, I'm still trying to work out and yeah. on the, be on the team still. But I want to, like, see what opportunities out there for me. You yep. know what I'm saying? Yeah. And Coach Rich, he, like, you either in or you out. You know what I'm saying? So I'm saying, like, and you understand. I get both sides I because you know that's saying? how you want your players. But you have to understand both. And I totally do. Like, and I, yeah, I don't I don't feel no type of resentment because, you feel me, he got to stand on what he believe in. Yeah. So he, like, you in or you out. I'm like, all right, well, I'm out. I got to see what's out there for me. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? That was something that I had thought about for months. Me and Rich have been going back for about a month, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying, about trying to figure a way to work through it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You got some people who literally wake up and like, yeah, I'm gone. And it's hard because, too, like, you talk about the people who are making these decisions, right? In some cases, these guys are 18 years old. Mm-hmm. 18 to 22. You, and then now you got COVID. So you got some fucking, you got some, you got some weird grown men. 25, yeah. 26. So those guys, like, yeah, obviously you're much more emotionally and just overall mature. But when you talk about the younger guys in the spectrum, the 18, 19, 20-year-old guys that are making decisions like this off impulses, and making emotional decisions, if something goes wrong, like, that, to me right now, I don't like, it feels like a fail-safe. Yeah. Like, if something goes wrong, it's okay, because I have this. It's like, it's like, it's almost people out there, I can guarantee that if going to a school, I'm transferring. Go to another school, I'm transferring. Go to another school, I'm transferring. Yeah. It's weird. It happens. And, and it's, it's, it's really because, it's, it's crazy, because it's, it's bad when it's, Underclassmen, yeah, freshman and sophomore. You a, a true freshman. Yeah. I ain't played this year. I'm gone with the same staff that they came in with. You know what I mean? And obviously, the recruiting process. You know, they're supposed to talk you up, right? They might. You know, you hope you don't get to campus and they switch up on Coach you. Coach Shinzo, Coach Shinzo told me he say he say like the worst part about recruiting is sometimes you got a lot of kids. Yeah, and you got to tell them what they want to hear to get them to your school. You know what I'm saying? And that happens, yeah. And you feel me? That's with anything, though. And that's the like the ugly part about the transfer portal because you will get lost. Yeah. Because it was, I'm a you feel me, first team ugly act. You know what I'm saying? Led the league in rushing. I was a All American honorable mention. It was some days. It was no coaches on my line. I'm thinking, you feel me? All right, when I get in, 
It's gonna be my phone might not might not stop buzzing for two months. I had a hundred coaches follow me the first two days, and then it was a point for like a week. It was no coaches hitting me, no new coaches. You feel me? Then okay, one day it's thirty coaches. The next day is nothing. For me, you know what I'm saying? Not saying I'm Jesus, <laughs> but like I feel like I'm a pretty. You feel me? I'm a good football player who can help our program. A, pro- a proven, right? You know a proven, proven football player. You feel yeah. me? Like I've I've shown that I can do it over yeah. years. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And it was days where it was nobody on my line. Yeah. The last thing I want to touch on too, and this is something I think also goes very unnoticed, is that the acts of tampering that happen that go seriously unchecked because it feels like with some of these decisions, when a Student athlete, again, we're speaking on football. This can totally apply to other sports, but we know football, so we're going to talk about football. When a football player enters the portal and they have a school within a day or two, yeah, there have to be some question marks. I've been doing that. That's what I'm saying. There have to be some question marks around the decisions. There are people that have been caught doing that. There are people that you know are allegedly doing certain things that are, a lot of them have not been proven, but I have to imagine like that is so tough. Like, how can you expect the NCAA to monitor and, and really enforce policies like that? But to me, the NCAA, you got to see that, though. Yeah. If I enter the portal and I found a school in a week, can't no school make me come in the week. Isn't that crazy? Unless I'm an absolute dumbass. Some, like, <laughs> <and a nincompoop. laughs> like, sometimes even without a visit? Like, like you didn't even want to go check it out? I was in the portal for four months. Oh, my God. Before I finally, you feel me, decided on where I was going. How you get in the portal? In three days later, you committed. Yes, bro. I don't care about no dream school, none of that. Unless you were absolute, like, dumbass, there's no way that you was like, this is for me oh. after three days. Because there's no way you went out there, took a visit, talked to everybody you need to talk to. You don't even know what they offered, the school offered, as far as <laughs> academically. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You don't know what the surrounding area look like. Oh, yeah, we gone. <laughs> what? Come on, bro. So... Now I think we can we can segue and move over into more of the the data, the numbers, because we have a lot of opinions and I appreciate our opinions, but you know, some people might not. So you say, Hey Kobe, how about you stop spewing bullshit and show me the real numbers? <laughs> show me what's actually going on. And to those people, the few and the proud, uh, we, we will bring you like the Marines. We will bring uh, this up right here. This, as you can see, is data from the NCAA website, right? It's a credible source. And the data we're looking at, there's two different uh, sets of data here. You have from August 1st, 2020 to July 1st, 2021. And then you have August 1st, 2021 to July 31st of 2022. So you have the two different spans. This first segment here says, how many Division I transfer portal entrants transferred to another NCAA school? Now, this data, it's important to know, is that it is only for Division I players. That's FBS and FCS. We'll talk about a Division II stat a little bit later, but this will get this out of the way up front. Now, this says for background, when a student athlete in the transfer portal transfers to a new NCAA school and joins an athletics team, the status field in their record is updated by compliance staff, blah, 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 blah. That's the NCAA saying, we know when kids land. Like, we know. Right here, in 2021, you had 6,876 undergrad students transfer and 3,253 graduate transfer. That number goes up by, looks like, almost 2,000 in 2022. So you have a combined total of just about 12,000 between undergrad and graduate transfers which is just a a pretty appalling number already. 
now you go down here and it, you start to just see more of these numbers. What is the divisional destination of successful Division One transfer portal entrants? 78% are landing at other... These are of the kids that successfully landed. 78% are at Division One, 20% at D2, and only 2% make, you know, go all the way down to Division Three. Some of those other situations, right? Now... Here are some more really good stats that I like. When are Division I student-athletes entering the transfer portal? And I think these are kind of predictable, right? You see here, they're most likely to enter the transfer portal at the conclusion of their team season. You see that big spike in November or December. Yeah. And then, or at the end of their academic year. So then you get into April and May when these years are wrapping. And that makes sense, right? You stick it out through the year, and then you move on. Uh, right here. <clears throat> this is I got to make this. There we go. Sweet. I had to make this bigger because I could not read that um, from my little screen over here. Look at this number. This is pretty bad. So out of all those athletes that we just mentioned from this data, 57% of student athletes reported to have rolled in a new NCAA member school. That's, that is like, that is alarming. Like, that is extremely alarming. Like, that's saying, like, they transfer to a school and then transfer to another school? No. So, that is saying out of that total number that we saw that oh, entered the transfer portal. Only 57% signed somewhere. And the remaining 43 didn't. So, and now, again, the data, if we go, I lost my, I lost my scroll. Here we are. If we go back here, 57% of that, and we have to remember, too, in this, um, in this data set, it stops at July 31st, 2022. So you have to imagine more kids were still figuring things out as you go into the fall. But July 31st, like, you're starting camp the Get first started. week of August. Division two, division one start right. camp. You're right. So like the beginning of June. Exactly. So like you're already going. So you can't imagine this is division one athletes only in this potential data set. So you can't imagine that many more people are signing on. Right? There will be some, but there will not be. Yeah, for sure enough to warrant this amount 43 percent active entrants may still be exploring transfer options may have transferred to a non-ncaa school or may have left their sport That's and wild. this is when i get into like i don't think people understand where i'm coming from with this student athletes are being screwed because they're being promised things on the other side the grass is greener on the other side and then they get into the transfer portal and all of a sudden you know these guys are division one athletes a high percentage of which are on full academic or athletic scholarship, excuse me. And now all of a sudden you're looking at potentially not even playing your sport anymore. And it's, it's real life. It's because so much go into the transfer portal. It's not just ball. You feel yeah. me? You have to have like a social media presence to get your, you feel me? Get your film out. To, to get, get your connections film out at different to, places. You feel me? Yeah. You have to, and what mess up a lot of kids, they can, they see somebody else do something. Oh, he got it. I know I could get that. Everybody's situation different. You look out, use an example right now. And I said I wasn't going to use names. I'm going to use names. Uh, Connor Neer from Ferris State. It was an All-American linebacker, back-to-back -back national champion at the D2 level. Just committed to Oklahoma, right? Mm -hmm. He's picking up all these offers, these power five offers. Yeah. And then I can't say it was the exact reason, but guess what? After he received some of these offers, the next day, Grand Valley has three kids Three starters enter the transfer portal within an hour of each other. We're talking about all-conference all caliber players. One of them just went to Vanderbilt. Yeah. And you have to imagine in their minds, and rightfully so, this dude's getting X, Y, and Z. What the hell is stopping me from going and doing the same thing? Now, and it's, now, it's monkey. Yeah. The, the transfer portal is monkey see, monkey do. Yeah. It's, and it's killing programs. Okay, he man. got that. 
man, I'm going to go get this. You know what I'm saying? It's free agency because we yeah, talk about what, Lamar's contract. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, Kyler got paid this much and, you know, Mahomes is getting this much. I then need I this need much. this much. He got that offer. I could go get that offer. It's like, and I go get an offer bigger right than that. It's right there, dude. It's yeah. so crazy to me. And it's just, it's, it's the thing is, okay, like you say, Connor Nair, you feel me? He has proven himself. Yep. All American. The corner from We're getting GB. him on the pod, by the way. Proving himself. Yeah. The receiver, Walker. Blanking on his name, but yeah. I think his name is Forquin. It is. It is Forquin. The receiver, Walker, he, you feel me? He is going crazy. At the start of the season, he ended up getting hurt, and he slowed down towards the end. But, like, his, like, tape and stuff like that, like, he a freak. Yep. You feel me? Tell me. He had a, you feel me, a decent season. He proved himself. Them is proving, you feel me, players coming from a good program. It be the chumps from bum schools who thinking, you feel me, the transfer portal, well, it ain't nothing but the coaches looking. I'm a, How you think you finna transfer from a D3 and go D1 and you ain't have 400 yards in a year? Some people believe it. And that's where that's where it becomes it, – it's no way that you can regulate that because now you yeah. hindering some kids. You can't say, yeah, if you ain't uh, make all conference, you yeah, can't transfer. Yeah, there's no – you can't do that. But the, it, the concerning thing about this data set that we're looking at, this is all D1 kids only. Yeah, that forty three percent is only division. They one be kids. the ones that be the most like cooked in the head. So we'll keep moving. We'll keep moving down here. There's one more, but then I got a, a stat on division two specifically, and this one too. This is about. It says how do outcomes for division one transfer portal entrance vary by athletic aid status? So right here. Aided at departing school. So these are kids who had scholarships when they left their school. Only 54% transfer and receive athletic aid at the school they're going to. Flip a coin. That's determining whether or not... Because when you talk about scholarships at the Division One level, that is full ride. They're not yeah. splitting scholarships. Yeah. So you're going from a full ride, flip a coin, you're going to... I mean, obviously it's not flip a coin. Some guys know they're going to land, right? But for the, the sake of the matter, flip a coin, that is determining whether or not you will be on scholarship. And then you think about the athletic scholarship is a big reason why a lot of these guys are even in school. So now you take that off the table, only 10% are transferring without athletic aid. Going to another place for maybe for the love of the game, people like to say. Yeah. No, that's not what's happening. 36% remain active in the transfer portal, still just trying to figure it out. And then you look at uh, the stat over here, unaided at departing school. So people who are leaving without scholarships, 20% do find scholarships. So there's the benefit in the transfer portal right there. 60% remain in the transfer portal and 20% are transferring without athletic aid numbers still very small. These numbers are large, these purples. And that is what is extremely concerning to me. And it should be concerning to a lot of people. The division two stat I have here from the same database. It says in division two, 10,324 student athletes requested to enter into the transfer portal and a combined total of 3,033 successfully transferred to another NCAA program. Division two? Division two. Damn. I'll say it one more time. For those listening, 10,324 student athletes requested to enter into the transfer portal, and a combined total of 3,033 successfully transferred to another NCAA program. I'm not a math guy, but that's more than 7,000 guys. 
are not guys. I shouldn't say that. This is student athletes. Yeah. 7,000 people that are not, let alone aid, throw athletic aid out the question. Just going to another school, period. And that's why I say. Those numbers are scary. It's, it's, it's ugly because it, you can't. But you can. You you can't. There's no way that you can regulate it. I think How you can, can you tell some? How, all right. So this is this is my pitch right yeah. here. I think you take away from the start of that decision, and you make it maybe more difficult. Is not the right word, but you don't allow these kids to make impulsive decisions as far as the transfer portal is concerned. Maybe it could be something as simple as okay, you want to enter the transfer portal, it will go into effect in a week and a half, instead of like. Boom! I enter my name in the transfer portal. I'm gone. Like, let kid let a kid like sleep on this decision. You know what I mean? I think that would mitigate not nearly all of it, but I think in a lot of cases, a kid goes and sleeps on it, talks to some people. You know what I mean? Like, just kind of figures out what's really really going on in his or her head. And I think that might mitigate some of those impulse and emotional decisions that we talked about. And there are so many other ways you could do that, but that was just one thing that came to mind for me. Not necessarily, because it takes you a couple of days to officially be in the transfer portal anyways. It does, but extend it. I mean, but at the same time, you, I don't, that's messing it up for the kids who, that'll mess it up for somebody like me. You feel me as far as like, I didn't enter the portal until the end of December. Say I was trying to, say I was one of them goofy kids who was trying to be at a school in a week. Enroll at a school in the week and be there for spring ball. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So I entered the portal. I think it was like the 27th of December. I was officially in like the 29th or the 30th. Say I was trying to be at a school in the middle of January. And it take me like a week and a half to get in. You know what I'm saying? For yep. somebody who know what they want. Because the kids who entered the transfer portal at in December, in the end of November, they know that they trying to go somewhere mid-year. If you take a week and a half of recruiting away from them, that's detrimental to them. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So I feel like that's why I personally say there's no way that you can, like, regulate the transfer because, all right, at that point, now I got to try to get in the transfer portal a week and a half earlier. We probably still got a bowl game to play. Or we tough. still got a game to play. You I, know hear you. I hear you. And I say it's ugly because the transfer portal worked for some people and it don't work for others. A lot. And it don't, it don't work a lot more, to be honest, than it worked. Yeah. And it's hard to, like, find a common, like, middle ground. Like like I say, because I was thinking, like, all right, you have to have, like, a sufficient reason to want to transfer. Yeah, but then. But then at that wh- point, how, how you are you going to tell me that your reason is not important My enough. reason is not a, is not enough to want to leave. You it's know what so I'm saying? It's so hard. Like, who makes that decision? You can't. You can't do that. And so here is. Um, I posted on Twitter. I said, you know, basically, like, let me hear your thoughts on the transfer portal. Because, mm-hmm. frankly, it just the whole ordeal is starting to, starting to just piss me off. And I got a good comment from, uh, we had Bryce Spears on the podcast a while back. Uh, mm-hmm. His older brother, actually, is a West Point alum. And he says here, and I can actually just throw it up on the screen, uh, maybe, for y'all to see. There we are. This was, well, here's my um original tweet here i said i'm all for kids getting new opportunities but the transfer portal is becoming a slippery slope not enough playing time transfer disagree with the coach transfer new staff comes in transfer like i said it feels like a fail safe commitment seems to be at an all-time low but let me hear your thoughts a lot of people will reply but this from him right here he says in these couple like proposed rules he had just thought of one 
One transfer, if same division, like a D1 to a D1. Head coach leaves, rule number one waived for that year. So you don't have to honor like a new staff coming in. Limit number of transfers a school can take. And not that I say like, yes, let's implement this immediately. But I like the direction of this because it just shows more structure and it gives a much clearer outline as to what is and what is not acceptable. For example, the head coach leaves. I think that rule waived. I think that is like, that's a great rule because we know that when a head coach leaves, I mean, I'm a testament to that right now. We don't have a single coach on our staff right now that was on the staff in the fall, Mm -hmm. right? So that could be really tough for a player if you have to deal with a bunch of guys who didn't, not to say they don't want you, but they didn't bring you on campus. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I love that. The one transfer, if same division, because, I mean, let's face it. We have guys that are going to their fifth school to play football. Yeah. That's absurd. That is genuinely absurd. There's no reason that should happen. For sure. Absolutely not. And then yeah, I think, you I talk think, about the limit, the number of transfers the school can take. That's touching more on the high school side of things, right? Making sure that you don't just fill up your roster with transfers, that you do have to encourage some of that high school talent. But go ahead, Ty. I think that's that's a big one as far as I feel like the biggest thing that I think that you could be able to do is limit the amount of time somebody could transfer. And... Like from NCAA institution to NCAA institution, exactly. Yeah, you limit the amount of time somebody can transfer. You get somebody two transfers because that's all they can regulate is within NCAA. Obviously, you feel me? You get two transfers because like it's a slippery slope with somebody like 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 Josh. He'd have been to like two JUCOs. You feel me? So this is gonna be like his fourth school. You know what I'm saying? That's a slippery slope when JUCO is like way more fickle than the transfer portal ever will be. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, but it's people who have real life. The transfer portal came out during COVID. The right before the COVID season. I think it was, right? Yeah. I want to say it was. Because we got Isaiah Morrison during the COVID season. Yeah. And he was like, he was one of the first people in the transfer portal. So what has that been? Three years? It's people who transfer, transfer, transfer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like just can't uh, stick anywhere. What's his name? He used to um, you know what I'm talking about, the old Georgia quarterback. JT Daniels. Uh, okay. Yep. USC, Georgia. He went from Georgia and went to another school, and then left there and went to Rice. And I think he he went he left he went he went from USC to Georgia just bounced to West Virginia like to Rice. You feel me? Like All how? within like year, 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 year. Like that's no, it's no good. It's no good for nobody, especially for him. You know what I'm saying? To just constantly be leaving. Oh, I don't like it. I'm gone. I ain't like this, I'm gone. Like, that don't do nobody no good. You Agreed. feel me? So I feel like NCAA transfers, you get two. And if you, don't, if you don't like where you at no more, you either got to go play NAIA or, that, yeah, yeah, right? you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Give but that up. that would encourage them to like, okay, I really do. I'm, there's not going to be any of those three-day commitments now. Like, I need to really make sure and go make sure this is a place where I want to be. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think that would encourage that. So there, I, I loved that from him. Like I said, Totally could work on, like, changing whatever, but the ideas there, I absolutely love. I think they're great. And I'll leave you guys with this quote before we go to our conversation with Jimmy. This is from Dabo, Dabo Sweeney. He told ESPN's Chris Lowe that uh, the transfer portal is, quote, not what it's supposed to be, is what he says. He says here, it's an absolute mess in a train wreck, and the kids are going to be the ones who suffer in the end. There are going to be a lot of kids that end up with no degrees and make decisions based on the wrong things. They're going to be a lot of decisions based on short-term stuff, and they're going to sacrifice the long-term value of education, relationships, and connectivity. 
I think that's really good. And it's powerful stuff that sums it up. And, uh, man, the last thing I, that I promised, the last thing I have for us on the topic, and a little more of like a, just a crazy note. Look at this. This is, these are the schools, Power 5 schools, that have lost the most amount of kids to the transfer portal in 2022-2023. Colorado obviously leading that list. 56. Ole Miss has 33. A&M and Oregon have 31. Arizona State, 30. Arkansas, 29. Florida, 26. Then it starts to get, you know, down and down. And I mean, these numbers are absurd. And that's why it's ugly. You got 56 people. That's more than half the football team. A power five football team. And obviously that situation is one that like will not be replicated anywhere else. Like it's such a unique situation. You know he's telling, he telling you leave because I'm bringing in my own, you know what I'm saying? My yeah. own. You Even did. still, there are so many other schools. Like, like Ole Miss, 33 people. That's a third of a football team yep. just leaving. Yep. And to be honest, you got to try to replace them. with Oh, you have in, to. You, with incoming... Freshmen and transfers. Because or else you're not going to be competitive and you're out of a job. Because you're not going to bring in 33 freshmen who are ready to play. You're going to probably have six, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. If, if you're, you're lucky. lucky. You know what I'm saying? You got to replace <laughs> them 33 transfers with an additional 25 transfers. And it's just. And that's it's a revolving door because Ole Miss, they like. They, I swear, I promise you on everything. It's like, who they? Uh, what's who, what's the head coach name? Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin. Yep. Everybody love Lane Kiffin. Well, yeah, I ain't, I ain't really liking it. I'm finna transfer for what? You know what I'm yeah, I'm really just trying to go play for Bama. I'm gonna just transfer. You know what I'm saying? And like stuff like that. That's why it's ugly because you got some people who really like transferring because like, yeah, I just, I just, I'd rather just be somewhere else. Everybody would rather be somewhere else. That don't mean up and leaving. You feel me? Yeah. That's the commitment piece that I was that I was touching on. Yeah, I'd rather, you know what I'm saying? I don't really want to play for Miami. I'm trying to go play for the Gators. And now the transfer portal is officially closed for the next however many months now, I believe, right? The deadline passed. Yeah. I mean, and as soon as it opened up, it's going to be an influx right back in. December and April with the two open windows, but now rosters are getting just about locked up. Yeah, if you're not already in the portal, it's over with. Yep. There's no getting in the portal. Exactly. You had to have somebody sign Ooh. your sign off your release, and good luck with that. Charlie. On that note, we're going to talk about the D three team playing in Italy and a bunch of uh, big dime Division three games with uh, our D three insider Jimmy Martin. Joining us now on this episode, number ninety nine, we got Jimmy Martin, the man himself. This time, a little bit of a scenery change for you, Jim. How we are we doing? We are back in Arlington Heights for this oh. one. You know, back in the summer, you know, so I'm. Uh... It'll be nice to be home. Actually, on a big fancy uh, Mac desktop now. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know he's like that. A little bit of an upgrade. A little bit of an upgrade. From we got the the socks memorabilia behind you. Oh yeah, we got a whole collection here of uh, tons of stuff. Bobbleheads. My my dad's been uh, collecting bobbleheads and memorabilia since before I was even born. So he's got quite the collection in here. It's his it's his prized possession. That's his know? baby, man. I love it. But today we're gonna talk uh, some D three football with you. And a point that you had wanted to bring up was looking ahead towards this fall season. There's a lot of stuff we can cover this summer, and um, you know, as we get closer and closer to kickoff. And something I do think we'll have to add to this piece as well is uh, lacrosse going over and playing overseas 
which I don't know if yeah. you saw anything about that. So we'll touch on that later. But uh, before we get into that, start to kind of run me down this list of some of the biggest games that you could identify right now as far as the Division Three season is uh, is concerned. Okay, yeah. So we got uh, we got a handful of big ones here. So um, the one I, I went through, like, the Division Three schedule, you know, this year, and one game that really stood out to me is Week 3. It's going to be Wisconsin-Whitewater at Mary Hardin-Baylor. And that's two, you know, powerhouse programs in Division Three. And last year – Really, really close one, actually. Whitewater snuck one out 28-24 last season. So I'm sure uh, Mary Harden-Baylor will be definitely ready for that one. That'll be that'll be at Harden-Baylor, too. So Okay, big time. Uh, the Warhawks are going to have to use their wings and fly south for uh, week three. So You had that one ready, didn't you? you had that no, one. I didn't. I just rolled right I like off the track. I, I promise you. Yeah, I like that. So, That's pretty um, good. And then we'll uh, move on down here to uh, number two here. So we got week six. We got Wheaton College at North Central, and that's probably you know the big the big rivalry in um, the CCIW. You know because yep. that's two of the top programs down in that conference. You know last year, uh, you know North Central did not lose a game. Thirty three twenty is actually a pretty pretty tight ball game. You know the score might have uh, indicated differently, but um, it was a hard fought game. Um, I like it. Got- my um my personal favorite on the list is uh number three week five we got uh the Blue Devils are heading down to Lacrosse to play Lacrosse at Lacrosse so big time they uh they gave us a whooping last year and I uh there's a lot of guys on our team a lot of my friends at Stout have buddies on Lacrosse oh yeah actually uh, Kaiser Helterbrand the quarterback at Lacrosse is like best friends with like two of my really good friends at uh at Stout so they've been uh. We're definitely looking forward to that one. You know? Yeah. Lacrosse so is that would you consider program. that the rival? Is that the rival in that uh, in the WAC there? Actually, you know, our biggest rival is University of Eau Claire, Wisconsin Eau Claire. Really? Okay. The, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's like the I ninety four rivalry. Gotcha. Like a tournament trophy, obviously, for that one. But um, yeah, we're definitely looking forward to that one too. That'll be uh, the last game of the year. I'll uh, be playing against some of my old coaches. I'm sure you know about. That. Oh yeah. That'll be that'll be fun. That'll be that'll be good. That'll be good. And, yeah, talk to us about uh, talk about St. John's. Yeah, so we got week seven, and we got the uh, MIA matchup. We got the uh, MIAA matchup of say uh, MIAA. Saint there you go. Yep. Gustavus Adolphus. You know that was another pretty high scoring affair last year. Uh, St. John's took it home, forty one twenty seven. But you know, two very well established programs in their respective conferences. So that'll be definitely one that I've highlighted for sure. Again, again, like. We play Gustavus again this year, so and then that'll be we. This matchup will be after we play them, but it'll be interesting to see how uh, Gustavus and St. John's because that's always that's always a great game, you know. So they're two pretty big rivals in that conference. So love it. And then uh, week five or uh, number five here, we have week eleven. We have DePaul and Wabash. So this is actually a pretty interesting backstory here. That's like a massive rivalry in division in division three. So it's called. They play for the Monon Bell Trophy, which is awarded the winner every year. It is the okay. sixth most played Division Three rivalry in college football history. And it's the 12th most played game in college football ever. Damn. So you can imagine this, there's a lot of tension between these two schools. You know, they're huge, huge rivals. Rivals. There's been a 127 total games played. And the uh, all-time uh, Wabash hasn't beat. 63 to 56 and nine there's been nine ties as well okay i got you i got a picture yep. of the bell pulled up here for the people watching oh, on yeah. youtube and uh you can't see it but man these are some the one the depaul is like a straight out of rudy almost type look to it oh yeah um oh, oh yeah. it is so sick it's huge by the way oh yeah like it's absolutely 
massive, which is, I think, also hilarious. Um, but then you see the guy uh, on the other side of it, Wabash, and that uh, the half-painted red and that half-painted gold is such a clean look. I think here's a, uh, here's a better look at it for those, once again, watching on YouTube. They're a little bit more of a grainy shot. But, dude, you can see this thing just by looking at the pictures. This thing's obviously got some, like, legit history to it, which I absolutely oh. love. Big time. And then uh, speaking of history, actually, I had this little note here in the uh, on the outline. So my grandpa, James Speed Martin, the first played for Wabash way back in the day. So I have a little Speed bit of Speed Martin. That was the given. That was the given nickname. Yep, James Speed Martin. And allegedly, <laughs> this is the this is the story. So apparently he was getting some looks to go play in the NFL. This is like back in the 30s, you know, way, way long ago. Okay. And this could be like family legend. I don't really know, but apparently he had an opportunity to go play at the next level. And um, my great grandmother or my great great grandmother was not going to allow that because she was worried about him getting hurt or whatever. But again, that could be just you know old, some old folklore. It's like, oh, I could have done this if my mom would have let me play. But yeah, but mom wouldn't I don't let know me how go true pro. That really is. But again, you know, it's it's cool. You know, football is definitely uh, deep in my roots. So. That is pretty sweet, man. I didn't know that. I like yeah. that a lot. Yeah. Um, another piece that, like I mentioned at the, or let's, if you want to touch on the D3 guys, talk about getting shots to the pros, we can go and kind of segue right off of that. You had a couple guys you wanted to highlight before we move on to talking about the international play. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so obviously our guy, Anthony Kendall got the, uh, mini camp invite from the New York jets and that was, yeah. um, out of Baldwin Wallace. Yeah. yeah I believe he also got invited yeah. to the Browns mini camp as well. Yeah. If I'm not I mistaken. Did see that. I did see that. Yeah. There's a couple different, uh, invites, but, uh, you know, I saw the one on uh, Pro Football Focus here. but um, And then uh, one I thought was super interesting. So, you know, this isn't a D3 guy again, but Tavius Robinson, drafted by the Ravens in the fourth round from University of Guelph in Ontario. So, you obviously, serious? you know, not, not the NCAA, not D1, not D2, not D3, not NAIA, but yeah. definitely certainly a very interesting dynamic here, you know, getting a guy drafted from Canada, talk about, you know, not even just a D1 reject, but just an NCAA reject, if yeah. you will. I didn't so. know anything about that. And, you know, really, we talked about it a bit on the pod a while back. With Simon Fraser closing down, that was the only NCAA member institution that had football in Canada. That was kind of a mouthful, yeah. but you get where I'm going with there. And so you lose the only Canadian school, but they're still finding some talent out of there. That is that is really interesting. But to look at, I've got the that pro day from Anthony Kendall pulled up here, and we've talked about it before on this podcast, but uh, you've seen these numbers. A 4-4-4, 40-yard dash, 4-3-5 shuttle, uh, just around a seven-second three-cone, that broad and vertical with some serious explosiveness, mm -hmm. just, like, unreal. And a guy who, obviously, before this, no one really knew who he was. So mm -hmm. that's all it takes, man, just a, a crazy nice pro day like that to put you on the map, and now he's going to get a shot at one of his pick of two different pro teams. Yeah, and it just goes to show you, like we said before on this podcast, like, if you're really good, they'll find you. They're going to find you. If you're good, they'll find you. If you're a dog, they'll find you. So I love it, dude. I yep, love it. Yep, yep. Um, so we can finish then on the overseas play. You want to talk yeah. a little bit about it? So um, for those who aren't aware, lacrosse, who is, you know, had, has had some really good years of football and have put together a nice schedule for this coming year, also playing us. They're coming up to play us at uh, in the Superior Dome in Northern Michigan, which is pretty sweet, a little bit of connection there. But this May, so this month, I think it's in, I believe, in just like a week or two, they're mm -hmm. going overseas to play in Italy which is going to be a really cool experience. And we actually talked about um, before another D3 team, Alma, we had the head coach 
Coach Couch from that team on here. They're going to play in Scotland in 2024. But this is happening this month. And it says, you know, on the website here, the team's going to compete against a local Italian program while obviously experiencing the culture and all these different activities. Um, They're going to Florence, Milan, and Rome as they learn all about the, quote, great history of Italy. And that is so sweet. And Coach Janice, um, who I have a lot of respect for, has talked a lot about just being immersed in another um, another whole country, their culture, right? And having that experience as a student athlete is something that a lot of those guys, to be honest, might never have that opportunity again. So, yeah, I mean, I mean going, yeah. across, going overseas is always a privilege, you know, just being, like you said, being immersed in a whole other culture, you know, there's obviously Italy being, like, I'm a, I'm a foodie. I don't know if you knew this, Kobe, but I'm a avid food connoisseur. So you'd be going along uh, just for the restaurant stops. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, Word. that, That's I mean, fair. obviously the football would be great for those guys, but I'm sure like having some like real, like Italian food, like the pasta, the food, <laughs> yeah. everything, all those ingredients are just so fresh. Cause um, I, the vegetables. Yeah. Thanks mom. Yeah. My mom's coming <laughs> in over here in the back. I love but it. um, Yeah. I, I said tomatoes. I said tomatoes. I love it. I love it. Yeah, no. yeah, but um, it'd be sick, yeah, man. So they actually have a schedule um, set up for kind of their trip that I was just going to uh, break down a little bit here. And I should be able to, if you just give me a second, pull that up for the people watching on YouTube. And here we are. So now they can take a look at this and you can see depart for Italy. And they there's a welcome meeting and orientation uh, and then they go right into the Florence City walking tour, visiting the birthplace of Italian Renaissance. Like, Ooh. it would be, I feel like part of it would be a little bit distracting, you know what I mean, doing all this stuff. Yeah. But as you move forward towards um, day three, practice session, they practice at a local field, another Florence City tour, seeing the history of Florence, cooking class and dinner. Learn how to cook traditional Italian dishes, dude. How wow. sick is that? That's well, so you had, cool. You, you had me at cooking. There you go. <laughs> That's so sick, dude. Oh, yeah. And I said it would be distracting, but at the end of the day, like football might actually be the side event. If I'm, yeah, not, you know what I mean? Would you agree with me? Taking a back seat on the trip, yeah. Oh, 100. percent That's kind of how I would feel. Football. I'm assuming that's how they're operating. Yeah, I love that. Um, but we yeah. can continue to to kind of go through go through the list. Uh, day four, traveling to Pisa. I'm not sure how to pronounce that one. They have a guy in the excursion. Leaning Tower of Pisa? The yes, Pisa. There you go. Seeing the Leaning Tower there. Uh, and then they have an exhibition game on that day four. So Ooh. they go to the Leaning Tower of Pisa and then go play an exhibition game, which is oh. hilarious. I mean, they got to make most of their time while they're over there, I'm sure. Um, the to, Siena yeah. City Tour is on day five. Uh, medieval times. Then they're going to Rome on day five. And then here you go. Day six seems like a big one. Colosseum, Roman Forum, visit the Arch of Constantine, the ruins of the Roman Forum, all these different things, Pantheon, Tribute Fountain. Like, holy cow, Vatican City. Dude, the Sistine Chapel is on there. And then Rome free time just to walk around, and that's their final day in day seven. Day eight is come home, and they wanted to make sure that they thanked all the people that made this possible because – to, it's my understanding it was just really like grassroots funding. Just like get the word out to all these people who support our program and let's see if we can get enough money together to do something like this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and obviously like having that opportunity, those those kids will remember that forever, you know. Just yeah. the idea of just like bonding with your team in a completely different country, you know, playing football. Like you said, like, you know, seeing all the sites, eating all the food, you know, things like that. That's, that's what they're going to remember. You know, the football will be taking a back seat, it seems like, you know, so. Oh, yeah, and it should. Like it. 
with an experience like this, like there is, there's nothing that, uh, that can seriously top that. So I'm yeah. excited. I'm excited to hopefully see some really cool content for them. Whoever's on the media team for lacrosse, like strap it up. Cause we're going to need to, we're going to need to see some of your best work here. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can't imagine that gig would be too hard. Like y'all are in freaking Rome. Like just shoot some yeah. cool photos and videos and you'll be straight. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, they should, uh, they should ask you for some advising that, uh, benefit a lot from, uh, I should, I should pitch my services to get on the get on the yeah plane. yeah get get over to Italy yeah, yeah. Is, is that because I know you're not busy at all Kobe so. no right I got a, yeah <laughs> I got a, I got a week I got a, I can just punch a week yeah out. right yeah. yeah but hey I think that's all we got for this one this this kind of flew by but I uh, I appreciate you Jim this has been pretty good man yeah man time flies when you're having fun right absolutely dude yep yeah all right we'll get you back on here uh, for some more stuff too. but uh, yeah think about that that about sums it up for today man. Sweet. All right. Sweet. Good See you, brother. Appreciate you always. Right. Peace out. Peace out. I appreciate you. Hell yeah. Appreciate Jimmy coming nice. back on, talking some D3 football. And uh, this has been a really long one. We're going we're gonna to blow through these last uh, couple pieces of conversation here. The one is the 2023 schedule release date for the NFL. And you may ask, Taylor Lewan asked it on Twitter earlier today. He was like, why is this a big deal? Well, it's a big deal for fans because a lot of people make these road trips and they have to plan basically their entire year around, what is it? Black Friday game? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what you were making that face for. I thought I pulled up the wrong document. No, no. <laughs> okay. We can we you can gotta, break uh, it down. But before we get to the Black Friday game and a couple others, um, that's why this is kind of a big deal, right, is for these fans who are potentially planning these, these big trips to go see these teams. And so uh, when the schedule is released, it'll determine a lot of things and a lot of planning for fans uh, across the country and, and across the world, really. So here we have it, the 2023 NFL schedule. Powered by AWS, I guess that's a that's a big time, uh, big boy partnership now uh, with Amazon, right? Yeah. Um, it's to be released this Thursday, May 11th, so three days time from we're recording this on Monday night, and the release is on NFL Network, and the players only schedule release on NFL Plus airs Thursday, May 11th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. All 32 team schedules and more to be available on NFL.com, the app, blah 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 blah, and yeah, on the bottom here. The following games will be announced ahead of the full regular season. You have one, the international games, May 10th will be announced. You have a Black Friday game, which is going to be an Amazon game on May 10th. You have these other two categories, select individual games on Fox and Friends and CBS Mornings, and then another pair of select individual games, uh, May 11th on the Today Show and Good Morning America. Uh, I apologize. I'm tweaking. I'm thinking that game was going to be played like May 10th, 2024. No, <laughs> no. That's when they're getting announced. Okay, okay. That Okay, that's why you're at that level of the face, yeah. <laughs> That'd be wild. That would be absolutely wild. But no, these are the dates when uh, the games are actually being announced. So okay. uh, just worth noting, I thought we'd... I thought we would throw it in here before we, we wrapped up today. And then our last piece as it concerns to the NFL and football as a whole is this tidbit that, Ty, you and I talked about earlier, but that's uh, the Chiefs rookie running back Isaiah Pacheco played in the Super Bowl with a torn labrum and a broken hand. He underwent separate surgeries to address both. Address, I went Mike Tyson there for a second. You hear that? The he had to address <laughs> both injuries with surgery in late December. The seventh round pick. But he enjoys much success during his rookie season for the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl. He scored Pacheco a touchdown. Pacheco underwent separate surgeries to address both injuries after the Super Bowl. He scored the a seventh round pick dealt with the labor injury for the month of the season. 
Pacheco is a warrior. He just wants some. <laughs> that horse. was good. That was good. Pacheco is a warrior. He can be stopped. <laughs> he has the heart of a champion. You see that number he got on? He got on the greatest number of football player could ever wear. Number 10. It doesn't get much better than that. Go can't see cheese. But he says the seventh round pick dealt with the labor injury for, quote, much of the season. I don't know why to do random quotes around one word. Um, but That's your boy Dove. That's Dove. I don't even know if he's a real person. He could just be the little NFT-looking dude in that profile picture. A, he could be an AI for all we know. <laughs> but he's got always got the deets, though. He, he got, always has the he info. Got, he got NFL... <laughs> Breaking news on lock right now. <laughs> I don't believe it unless Dove tweet it. <laughs> really though. So actually, they and which they don't usually do this, but they released the X-rays um, from the injury. Have you ever seen that what, before? What they thought he's what, in case people were. They thought like, we thought he was lying. Oh, I'm out of here. <laughs> I was going to give a whole little statement like, oh, in case people didn't believe it, and trying to trying to give him hype. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. <laughs> We're done with the Division Rejects. Episode 100 coming next. Wait, was Stay it fake? Stay tuned. What are you? you see the dogs in <laughs> No, the I'm saying, I'm saying, was this injury fake? Or was you just made this all up? No, the injury is real. The oh. injury is very real. <laughs> I had y'all going, though, for a second, though. I'm like, I'm like, damn. I'm like, what they thought we... Thought he was lying or something? <laughs> he was hurt, fam. Everybody play hurt. They released his x-rays. Nigga, you thought we thought you was capping, fam? I sat back. I said, you hurt? You hurt. Good for you. You told us you was hurt in May. You played in February, fam. Uh, thank you for listening. Do you want to read this episode 99? Big episode 100 coming up next. Uh, be tuned to all the socials for some big announcements.